Rebellion, Book Two of the Ritual Saga, written and performed by author Caitlin Costello. Print copyright, Caitlin Costello, 2019. Audio copyright, Caitlin Costello, 2021. Chapter One, Tetra. Tetra hisses into the pillow as the bandage comes off her back. The layer of healing herbs releases with a slight ripping sound. This is looking so much better, Tetra, the healer says. Tetra grunts in reply as the healer grabs a sponge and begins cleaning the bruises and cuts left over from the belt marks Ward had been forced to leave on her back. I don't think we need to put any more bandages on today. You'll have to take it easy and let your body get back to moving like normal. Thank you. I appreciate all you've done to help me, Tetra says, waiting for the woman to leave. Of course, Lady Tetra the healer says with a bow. Tetra sits up, clutching a blanket to her chest. Jean? Yes, miss, Jean asks. Remember, just Tetra, or Tay. I'm not a lady, Tetra says with a smile. Right. Sorry, miss. Uh, Tetra, Jean says before decking out of the tent. Tetra slides off the bed and moves across the floor to a mirror, turning to see her back. Some of the bruises are turning a disgusting greenish yellow, while some are still a dark purple. The swelling has all but disappeared, and, as Jean said, the cuts have healed over. She opens a trunk of clothes and pulls out a loose linen shirt, a skirt, and a corset Jean had brought her with flexible leather boning to support her cuts. She pulls the clothes on and bends and stretches, feeling how her body reacts to the movement. The knock on her tense pole is muffled by the fabric, but the bounce alerts her to what she's been waiting for all day. News. Who is it? She asks. It's me, Ward says. Can I come in? Yeah, of course, she says, tugging at the edges of the corset. It still surprises Tetra how much it comforts her to see him out of the black, dark one's uniform. He'd even gone as far as to start growing out a beard. Ward ducks into the tent. How are you doing? He asks, sitting down on the only chair in the tent. Well, I don't have to wear any more bandages, she says, doing a little twirl. How bad are the bruises? He asks quietly. Ward, it wasn't your choice. It was what they wanted. We used it to our advantage, she tells him for the umpteenth time. She waits until he looks up from his hands before she continues. They're coming along. Most of the bruises are green and yellow now. I should be fine in the next week or so, Tetra says, sitting down on the bed. I feel a lot better than before. I feel more mobile. It's nice not to feel like I'm going to die anymore. He makes a face at her choice of words. Stop it, she says, punching him. There's no need for that. I'm going to keep making faces whenever you talk about how much pain you're in until every bruise and mark is gone. What if I said they were gone tomorrow? She retaliates. I, fine, you win. I would still make faces. Tetra sighs and flops back on the bed. She instantly regrets that and has to try not to make a face. Ward leans over to see how she will react. Oh, stop that, 
she says as she swats him back. What did you come by for? She asks. I need you to come over to the big tent. We had some new reports come in. Ward replies. Really? Why didn't you say so? Let's go! She jumps up and runs to the corner to pull her boots on. That's a good look, Ward says with a smirk. She replies by grabbing a knife, eyeing him and the blade before sliding it into her boot. Well, what are you waiting for? She asks, already halfway out of the tent. She's been waiting for the new reports to come in for days. She starts into the little tent village they have set up on the edge of the woods. Each tent is created in a dark green and brown mottled fabric, so they would blend into the woods around them. There's a strict campfire rule. The only fire allowed to be going most days is the big cook fire. There are too many dark ones swarming the area to risk being caught. Sam's tent is right next door to Tetra's. He's sitting outside on a little stool with a few swords around him, waiting to be sharpened. Since escaping the castle, the little boy was never far from her side. He always wanted to be her little guard, and Tetra was fine with that. She wanted to keep an eye on him to make sure he was okay. Good morning, Tay, he says. I just saw Miss Jean leave. Is your back getting better? Much better, thanks, she says, pausing by his pile of swords. Getting a lot of business, I see. She glances over and sees Ward waiting for her just a few feet away. Oh yeah, each guard or soldier that needs something sharpened comes to me to get their sword sharpened. I even had an axe this morning. He already came back and got that. But he said that I did a great job with that and he was going to tell his friends. The pride on the boy's face is contagious. That's great, Sam. I might need my knife sharpened soon. You know you'll have my business as well. I have to go to a meeting, but I'll see you later, she says in farewell. Bye, Tay! The slow and rhythmic sound of the whetstone sliding over the blade resumes. Any word on his family? She whispers to Ward when they are a bit farther down the tent line. He shakes his head. All we know is that they were seen leaving the palace. It's not certain if they found refuge in the city somewhere or if they made it out around the lake. He glances over his shoulder at the boy. He showed me yesterday what he's made already. He wants to save as much coin as he can so he can buy a sword and go into the city and look for them. Tetra stops in the middle of the path and grabs Ward's arm. You can't let him. That boy is not leaving this camp, she says fiercely. Tay, don't worry. I'm not going to let him go. Miss Jean is going to keep an eye on him. He's too young to be alone yet. We can't have him getting hurt. Narzan knows who he is. There is no way they would let him live if he stepped back into that city with the Dark One still in control. He pats her hand as he talks and pulls her on. Come on. We can talk more when we get to the big tent. The big tent fits its name as not only the biggest tent in camp, but also the center of camp life, serving as a mess hall during meal shifts and a planning room for those in charge. Tatra doesn't feel like she's in charge of anything, but she, Ward, and Andrew are considered the head of the rebellion. At least, that was what was put on the Dark One's bounties for their return. The brabble that has gathered with them seems to think that this was enough. They named the two men generals, and her a lady. It made no sense to her how she went from a farm girl to a lady, 
simply because she helped orchestrate a revolt. Andrew is already in the tent, poring over a selection of paper, including a map of the kingdoms. Good morning, he says, without looking up. He slides his hand along the table, looking for a glass. He nearly tips it over before getting a grasp of it and lifting it to his lips. Hello, Andrew. What's captured your attention? She asks as she sits on the stool beside him. He doesn't respond at first, his eyes staying glued to the page and his lips shaping the words. Huh? Oh, sorry. Right. Um, it's a report about Nurzan. He left. He went back to Bulandin. Or at least the Dark One Fort near there. The report doesn't say how he got there so fast, but he's gone from our lance. He continues to scan the page. It seems, before he left, he ordered everyone on the plane to come here before looking for us. So we have the whole of this quadrant on our tail. He points at a large dark smudge on the map. Well, wasn't that a lovely parting gift, Ward says, picking up another report. These are our member info and numbers. He scanned the list of digits. We seem to have slowed down. We've only had one or two people come in in the last day and a half. He glances at Tetra. Most are women and children. We can't protect many more. We need more men. More fighters. We have to try to protect them. We've talked about this. Their names are now on the Dark Ones list just as sure as Sam's is. We can't leave them behind. We might as well be the ones who put the blade in their back, she says vehemently. Andrew nods. She's right. They don't have any way to protect themselves. And what are we going to do about that? Ward asks. He scans the list again. We have 50 children under the age of 10 in the city. Some 60 women and a dozen elders. Andrew and Tetra are silent. We can't ensure they're any safer here with us. So we teach them how to protect themselves, Tetra says. Tay, there is no way I am putting a knife in the hand of a five-year-old. Do you honestly think their mothers would allow that? Not a knife. As you said, we don't have the means to ensure their safety. But we can teach them how to make little things. Traps and slingshots. Nothing is stopping them from throwing rocks at dark ones. They wouldn't have to be anywhere near them. She tries to make it sound a bit more convincing than it does in her head. Okay, that's the kids, but the mothers? Words as skeptically. <laughs> You'd be surprised, Andrew laughs. You tell a worried mother her child is in danger, and she will come up with some pretty interesting ways to attack you. I'm sure some of these mothers would be more than willing to learn how to pick up a blade, even if it was just a dagger. Besides, who said women can't fight? Tetra asks, letting the irony of his suggestion become very clear. Ward sighs and paces the tent, staring deep into the flame of a candle like it can give him the answers he needs. Tay, have you heard anything from your sister? Not a single word or random thought? Not a thing. It's starting to worry me. Are you sure that the Dark One said that that was a way they can communicate? Tedra asks, staring at the table. She would have reached out to me by now if she was okay, right? Teacher tries not to let the fear of what could have happened to her sister reach her voice. Ward puts a hand on her shoulder. She might not know she can talk to you that way. There's nothing in the reports to say she's been hurt. Here. He picks up one and starts reading. 
Damien is dead. His body was found on the plateau. The taint of black magic had burned through his veins. Wait, wait. How did his body end up there? I stabbed him. He died the night of the ceremony. Andrew and Ward share a glance. What? What don't I know? Tay? Um... They reanimated him. He held your sister and Philippe hostage for a few days, Andrew says. We just found out. You know we wouldn't keep it from you. What? Was he like some walking corpse rotting away? She squeaks. She pictures the man she stabbed with green decaying flesh hanging off of his body. Does that make me a killer still? She asks in a small voice. You are not a murderer. You are a liberator, Tetra. He tried to kill your sister and a queen. You acted correctly. And you had better reflexes than the elven high guard. That's nothing to be ashamed of, Andrew says. Honestly, I thought you were pretty magical yourself, Ward says with a laugh. Do we need to have you tested too? He starts stacking the papers in a pile. I've gone through most of these, so I'll go check on the guards. If you need anything, I'll be back in a few. Tetra and Andrew nod. She picks up a random document, their money. Everyone has been doing what they can to help. They have an almost self-sustaining community here. Their biggest issue, like one would expect with a revolution, is requiring food and weapons. They have just over 200, maybe closer to 300 people hiding out in these woods. They all need to be fed and protected in some way. Luckily, most of the runaways from the Dark Ones were able to take their weapons with them as they ran. So they have an odd assortment of spears, quarterstaffs, swords, and a few axes at their disposal. But it won't be nearly enough if the Dark Ones find them. What Tatra was hoping for was that some of the elves that came with them would be skilled. That they would be able to control some form of magic or have weaponry skills they can teach the other elves, and maybe even the humans. Tay, what do you think we'll get out of this? Andrew asks, putting down another report. What, this revolt? He nods at her. Hopefully, a passage back to our old lives. I just want to make our home safe enough for my sister to come back. If that happens, I would pack up this whole camp by myself and leave. Hi everybody, I wanted to pop in here really quick before we get to the end of this podcast and let you know that I have a sale that is going on currently, and it is a sneaky discount that only a few people know about right now, so good on you for listening to the podcast and hearing about this sneaky discount, and that is 25% off all of my signed print books at caitlincostello.com. And that is with the code MOVING, because I am moving at the end of July, and I need to reduce some of the stock of books that I have on hand. Unfortunately, I have quite a few books ready for people that were expected to go out last year to book events that sadly were cancelled due to the health and safety of everyone around us. But now... I need to move them out of my house. So if you would like to get 25% off of 
an order, please head over to CaitlinCostello.com and use code MOVING. That is code MOVING for 25% off. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. Okay, goodbye! Hello everyone, it is Caitlin Costello, the author and narrator of Rebellion. I hope you have enjoyed this week's episode. Please don't forget to leave a rating or review on the podcast hoster of your choice. And if you have finished the Frituals or Rebellion, please leave a rating or review where you buy books online. If you can't possibly wait until next week for the next episode, I do have signed copies of all of my books available at CaitlinCostello.com, or you can pick them up just about online at any retailer. You could also, if you are not financially able to purchase a book at this time, check out your local library and see if you can place a request to get that book in. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It means more than you know, and I will see you next week. Bye!